As you are taking this message and time in at home, I want to remind you of a few things coming up for the Easter week and Easter Sunday. Uh, on April 13th, that is a Wednesday night at 6.30 p.m., uh, we will be having uh, Lord's Supper together here in our multi-purpose building on campus. Uh, we won't be using the little cups and things that we've used in the past during COVID. We'll be using real bread and real cups, and so we're excited about that. We'll have a time of worship, uh, a time of reflection on the death uh, and life of Jesus Christ and what it means for us to remember that. Uh, and so we will celebrate that and remember that on that Wednesday night, uh, the 13th at 6.30 p.m. Then on Easter weekend, uh, I would really want to encourage you, if you've been an online viewer for the past couple of years and this has been your routine, I want to encourage you to take a step out of your living room or your home and uh, make your way to one of our services that weekend. We'll have one on Saturday evening at 6 p.m. Uh, in the multi-purpose building. Uh, then we'll have two more of those services at uh, 9.30 and 11 uh, in the multi-purpose building. Uh, but then we'll have one more. So Saturday, 6 p.m., Sunday, 8.30 a.m. in the sanctuary, 9.30 in the multipurpose building, and 11 in the multipurpose building. So that's all coming up the 13th through the 17th, several things. All that information is on the website as well. Now, one of the things that we're also going to be doing as a part of our Easter weekend celebration is uh, we have asked the leadership of our church if we could take Easter weekend and not take up a normal offering towards our budget, uh, but instead allocate that offering towards several agencies that are supporting refugees and people who've had to leave their country and people who are inside the country of Ukraine. Uh, several organizations that we already partner with are there and in the surrounding areas. One of those is through the North Carolina Baptist Mission uh, Relief efforts. And so we want to give you the opportunity to take a quick look at what they're already doing, uh, and then we'll come back and continue with our message this morning. We never thought, North Carolina Baptists, that it would be under the title Ukraine Crisis that God would call us to stand up and take action. But He has prepared us for this point uh, through many uh, years, and we can see the history that He has connected us to this place for this time. Here I am, a missionary to Hungarian-speaking people in the very last county of Hungary before you get to the Ukrainian border. And I'm so thankful to all North Carolina Baptists for your partnership over the years, for standing up for this time and joining us in ministry. Here I am at a help center that our partner organization, Hungarian Baptist Aid, has set up right at the border to make sure that refugees, the moment they step into the country, are given a sandwich, a smile, a cup of coffee. Already we've had many volunteers come and help in these efforts. Hungarian Baptist Aid also has a logistics center set up in the heart of Hungary that's managing all of the donations here locally. Uh, in the movement of, of people and items, North Carolina Baptist dollars are making a huge difference, tanking up minivans and buses to transport people and things. Thank you for these. Thank you for coming. Thank you for giving and thank you for your prayers. Pray for God's message to be delivered to these people in need right now. Every refugee and every volunteer, whether it's a Hungarian or a Ukrainian or an American, 
because working together is making a difference here among the crisis that we see day to day. And we pray that, that through these crises, God's name would be glorified and many people would come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and might be relieved not only of the physical crisis here, but the crisis of their soul and come to be a member of our heavenly kingdom. Once again, on Easter weekend, we will have envelopes available for you in person. Uh, if you want to give online, you can do that as well. There'll be a drop down in our online giving to go towards the Ukraine. And again, 100% of that, that will go towards one of three organizations um, that we already support. Now, just a quick reminder, April 13th, 6.30 p.m., we will have Lord's Supper in our multipurpose building. Saturday, April 16th, uh, at 6 o'clock p.m., we will have worship uh, and teaching in the multi-purpose building Sunday morning. Easter, the 17th, we'll have our services at 8.30, 9.30, and 11. So we would love to see you be a part of one of those. But let's pray before we continue in Philippians. God, as we have talked, we have seen so far in Philippians uh, the picture of Christ, the picture of humility, the examples of a couple of men that Paul is going to send to the church of Philippi. Uh, just some very... Um, if we're not careful, they, they sound too lofty or too hard for us to attain. But today, Paul is going to make this incredibly personal for us. And it's going to apply to every single one of us, whether we are watching this at home, uh, whether we are in person, whether we are young, whether we have aged, uh, whatever the circumstance, Paul is going to give us a command for us as followers of Jesus. So help us to see that. Help us to respond to that in Jesus' name. Amen. Here we are on our eighth week of the study of Philippians. And if Paul has not been clear enough in his application of his teaching thus far, he's going to be very clear in his instructions to the church of Philippi, his friends, fellow believers. But likewise, God's word is going to be direct with us. If you recall, last Sunday, Paul made a plea to the people, forgetting what lies behind and straying forward to what lies ahead. To us, this appears, as we said last week, as two distinct actions, but not to Paul. To Paul, it was a unified set of actions performed simultaneously. Forgetting as we run. Now, I remember the first time I ever sang a solo in church. I was terrified and my knees literally were knocking. Halfway through the song, I forgot the words. Lyrics gone. I walked off the stage, went behind the stage area and I cried. Later, our worship pastor came to me and convinced me to go up at the end of the service and try it again. And I did. I remember that first time, but I don't remember the second or the third, or the 50th. But then one day, before I sang, I was told, you have to introduce the song, which means now you have to talk in front of people. And I honestly thought I was going to throw, you get the point. I was really nervous. But then at some point, my fear of speaking shifted, but I don't remember the exact moment. The further I was removed from that terrifying moment of failure, and the more I practiced, and the more I sang, the more I spoke to crowds, the more I became comfortable. I did not forget one day and get comfortable the next. 
It was a period of growth. It happened in the same way that Paul is saying to us. I was moving forward towards confidence and away from fear all in one moment. The people of Philippi would need these reminders. They need to be continued to grow as a church, to impact their community, to become more like Christ in their personal lives. The person writing this letter, Paul, and the people receiving the letter, the church of Philippi, were not superhuman. They were sinful. They were broken. They were shame-filled people who had desired to see the church grow maturity and into new regions of the world. They would have to forget some facets of their lives as they ran toward Christ and His calling. As we step into another significant verse today, I want to challenge you to view this as a continuation of last week. It's a part of that strain toward what is to come. Apply the truth of God's word last week as we look at scripture this week. Verse 17 is where we're going to be in chapter 3 for quite a while this morning. It's very powerful, very simple, very direct. I would even challenge you if you're home when the passage comes up on the screen, maybe even read it out loud. Philippians 3, verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. This idea of imitating me that Paul presents is often discussed. Some pick it apart because it really circles back around to a, a word that we use inside the church. The word discipleship or disciple or disciple making. You've heard, if you've been here the last two years online, you've heard me define a disciple as someone who follows another person and another way of life and who submits himself or herself to the discipline, the teaching of that leader. Someone who follows another person, another way of life, submits himself or herself to the discipline of the teaching of that leader or that way of life. Being a disciple of someone is following their lead, their direction, their teaching. You can be a disciple of a coach, of a trainer, of a pastor, of a teacher, a church leader, a band, a social media shooting star. Being a disciple maker is allowing, therefore, someone, you're encouraging someone to follow along with you as you go through life. Now, whether or not you've thought about it, the reality is every one of us is making disciples. This weekend is easy proof. You see, on Saturday evening, April 2nd, there was or is, depending on when you're watching this, a basketball game between two college rivals. University of North Carolina, and Duke University. Now, by the time I preach this message on Sunday, only one of those two teams will remain in the NCAA tournament. But here's how I know that you and I are making disciples. In many of your families, you can trace your Duke or your Carolina discipleship through your bloodline or your anti-Duke Carolina through your bloodline. Some of you, like me, have taken your kids to games of the team of your choosing. You've purchased shirts and sweatshirts and jerseys and hats and collectibles, and they'll pass them along to another generation as they make disciples of their favorite 
family, college, basketball team, or professional sporting team. It's happened in my home. It's happened in your home. So if we could begin today and recognize that whether or not we want to admit it or accept it, that someone is following you, someone is being discipled because of your leadership, every single person. So if a disciple is someone who follows the pattern, the teaching of someone else, we do this in many ways. Although we may not call it that, the truth is we do. Then a disciple maker is someone who creates the pattern, the teaching for someone else. We also, as I just showed you, we do this in many ways. But let me simplify our discussion of this passage and the ideas that it presents and narrow it down to two questions. What pattern or disciple are we following? What pattern or disciple or discipleship are we displaying? What pattern are we following? What pattern are we displaying? Who are you? How are you? A disciple of who are you? What, who are you leading to become a follower? And what are you leading them to become a follower of? This is not Paul's idea that he has developed of imitating him or following him. He didn't come up with this idea. He's following what Jesus spoke about. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20, called the Great Commission, Jesus speaks and he lays out this plan for all followers of Jesus. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What do we hear Jesus say in this passage? Disciples make disciples. He's speaking this to his Early followers, disciples make disciples. Those who commit their lives to Jesus, trust in Him as their Savior, and whether they grasp it or not, when we commit to following Jesus, we are signing on to be disciples who make disciples. And disciples making disciples, according to Jesus, what do they do? They preach the good news of Jesus Christ. People respond and surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. Hopefully, beautifully, baptism occurs. Teaching and training continue to occur. And those disciples make disciples of other people. But one pastor said this, and I agree. The danger I've seen spending my life in the church is that we have, we have compartmentalized disciple making to occurring only on Sunday morning or in a group meeting one day a week. But this runs contrary to the early church and to the example and life of Jesus. Paul says, brothers, join in imitating me. Yes, your time growing in God's word through this source on Sunday is important. Or your time being with us on Sunday morning in worship is important. Your time in a group uh, on a Wednesday evening, on a different time of the week, your serving, it's all vitally important. 
But what I've observed is that when disciple making steps into Monday through Saturday, daily life, it becomes uncharted water for us. Awkward at times, even for the most seasoned of believers. So here's a test. Try it one day. Sit down with a friend who attends church with you. Maybe they go to a group with you or maybe they work with you and you see them at church or you know they attend another church. They have told you that they are a follower of Jesus or they make that claim. Try this. You're sitting at the table at break or during lunch. You have someone over, whatever the statement is, and you just say, hey, I, I'd like to pray for you. I just want to know, how can I pray for you? The reply that I've received most often is, thanks for asking me. You know, if you could just pray for life and life's busy, the kids, you know, work, job. That's a safe answer. It's code for don't push. The real answer, if they were probably being honest, would be things are a mess. I'm uneasy at work. The past two years have been hard. It's changed my job. My kids are struggling because of the impact of the last two years at school. Finances are becoming tighter and tighter by the gallon of gas. But we've grown and accepted the idea that our Christian walk is private. It's in here. That it's not for everyone. But throughout the New Testament, we learn the important reminder that our faith, though personal, was never meant to be solely private. I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But that personal relationship with Christ was never meant to play out solely in the privacy of my own mind and my heart alone. How do we imitate something we can't see? Paul says, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Follow my lead. Follow my pattern. Not because Paul was perfect. We know he wasn't perfect because we saw what he declared last week. I don't have this figured out. I've not perfected anything, but I'm going to keep pressing on. Paul is saying to people hundreds of miles away, follow my example. Not because I'm perfect. Not because I'm reaching out and trying to love Jesus, but because I'm trying to reach out and love Jesus more and more. Imitate me. Following Jesus is not simply taught. It's caught. Paul said, remember, brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Keep your gaze fixed upon those leading with godly examples, not simply good examples. And if you want a preview of what that godly example is, then we could flip over one page into Philippians for a quick glimpse. We'll see this more in depth next week. Verse 8 and 9 says, Finally, Brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the peace and the God of peace will be with you. 
few characteristics of a godly example. Not merely a good example. A godly example, they pursue the truth of God's Word. They live lives worthy to be followed. They seek justice. They desire purity. They want to lead us to what is lovely. They lead us to become more like Jesus Christ. There's one phrase that over the last 10 to 15 years that I have come to despise when someone says it in the public eye. I never signed up to be a role model. We've grown accepting of this phrase. Let me, let me just live life the way I want to live it and don't expect me to be a model worthy of someone following me. Why is it that no one wants to be a role model? Because being a godly example to say imitate me will challenge someone. It will challenge us to examine our decisions and our actions. And not simply how those actions will impact our life, but those who are watching and following us. Paul says it here, imitate me. He says it in Corinthians, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Jesus says, make disciples who make disciples. Jesus lived. Disciples were invited to follow Him, live with Him. Let me formally teach you my truth but let me informally disciple you by allowing you to watch the way I live. Now that obviously sounds very easy coming from Jesus who was perfect in all things without sin. But I find it encouraging coming from Paul because Paul had a past, remember? Forgetting what was in the past. He had a history. Yet he says, imitate me. Keep your eyes fixed on those who walk according to to the example that you have in us, in the collection of believers. What does this require for each of us who claim Jesus as our Savior and our Lord? It means we invite others into our lives to become disciples who make disciples. Disciple makers who are willing to admit sin, to admit failure, weakness, temptations. Disciple making does not happen at a distance. It's our responsibility to find people that we can disciple, but it's also our responsibility to protect those under our care from whom and what is discipling them. So take a look around you. Who is closest to you already? Relationally. Start opening up your life to them. Admitting your failures, your struggles, Talk through your difficulties. Share what God has been teaching you, the grace of God and all these things. Recently, my wife attended a conference on discipling your family. And one of the speakers said this about making disciples in our homes. They said, we must develop a 3D discipleship model. The first D of that discipleship model is display Jesus Christ by telling our family who we are apart from Christ. Telling someone that's following you who I would be without Christ. We can be honest without giving them too many details that are too heavy, but we can be honest and say, let me tell you who I would be without Christ. We can display Jesus Christ. We can also declare the truth. How do we disciple others? We display Jesus Christ. We declare the truth, the truth of God's word, the truth about our victories, but the truth about our suffering that Paul referenced last week. 
that while the world may hurt you, Christ will be there to heal you. But we also must learn to model delighting in our faith. In Philippians, Paul is casting vision for disciple-making. And he says, do so with joy. And to rejoice in our relationship with Jesus. And just so you know, he says that in chapter 1, verse 4, chapter 2, verse 2, chapter 2, verse 17, chapter 2, verse 18, chapter 2, verse 28, chapter 2, verse 29, chapter 3, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 4, chapter 4, verse 10. Rejoice in who we are. Take joy in who we are in Jesus. Delight in our relationship with Jesus. Our friends, our family must see us as people who are drastically different than the world. And one massive difference, we are to be joy-filled people because of the promises that we're pursuing that are even presented in this passage today. But we've got to remind ourselves. Allow these moments of Scripture to remind us disciple-making doesn't happen at a distance. I love how Matt Chandler speaks to this idea in his book, To Live as Christ, To Die as Gain. He said, don't overlook the average Christians around you who may be further along in some areas than you are. Maybe some guy you know isn't the best theologian in the world, but he loves his wife like Scripture commands. Maybe it's a good idea to get around that guy. Maybe there's a guy who just loves his kids like Jesus commanded him to. Being with him may help you want to love your kids like that and learn how to do it. Maybe you, maybe you didn't grow up in a healthy home, so maybe you get your theology from faithful preaching on Sunday but you learn how to be a husband and a father at somebody's house. It's disciple-making. Disciple-making doesn't happen at a distance. Now, I know you could argue or contend that the past two years, some of us have had to be really creative with our small groups online, our Zoom groups, and and other ways to connect, and they are not a substitute for in-person in your face, in your lives, conversations. While we're searching for people to imitate and or lead toward Christ, we must take Paul's warning to heart. He continues in verse 18. He says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ, Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. No one can really nail down in history the enemies of the cross as one specific group of people here. But while we don't know the specific people, we know the problem. Their end is destruction because they have and are making false proclamations. They're God is their belly. They feed on lustful appetites. This doesn't mean that they just sit around and eat all the time. But they are feeding off of sinful appetites. He is speaking and warning that these folks, they have their hearts, their minds set on the temporary filling of this world. And they glory in their shame with their minds set on earthly things. Don't follow these people. Watch out, he says. 
They previously declared their faith, but now they pursue only what feels good in the moment. They have appetites for immorality, power, riches, fame, pleasure, outside the guardrails intended to protect us of Scripture. They are not captured by the things of Christ. The power of the cross. They are not led to compassion or forgiveness, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I don't know the moment that it happened, but it seemed to be about 15 years ago. Reality TV became all the rage. Families lived with camera crews 24-7. We watched families create a dynasty with ducks, we observed. Families with many kids and counting. We saw romance blossom by the handing out of roses to select people in their elimination because nothing says love the way 12 weeks of elimination and lust spell love. But there have been reality show about pastors who have a lifestyle that's foreign and even appalling to other pastors that I know. You add streaming networks and almost anyone can say, watch my life through a screen. Let me show you glimpses that we want you to see. These are cultural examples. And in many moments of people who end up in the trap of feeding their lustful desires of the body of the flesh. Listen, you don't become disciples of Jesus by becoming a disciple of someone on reality TV. You make disciples and you become a disciple by Paul's example. Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. One more reminder, if your idea of Christian community is perfection, you'll never be satisfied. But if you desire to grow in your understanding of Jesus, living like Jesus, acting like Jesus, and learning to love others through our sin-infested culture, then you might just experience authentic community. Disciple-making occurs when authentic people invest in authentic relationships. You want to lead people to a relationship with Jesus? Then begin by investing and leading them into a relationship with yourself. Before you talk or invite or introduce your coworker or your family mem- friend member to their need for Jesus Christ as their Savior, start by talking to Jesus about your family member, about your friend and your prayers. Before Paul says, imitate me, he says, I'm not perfect and I don't have it all figured out. Not because he's trying to leave an escape route or a back door for his sinful actions, rather to create the need for constant self-examination. Before we declare to others, imitate me, we must carefully examine and evaluate. If someone started to follow me, where would my life lead them? If someone started to follow my actions, where would it lead them? What areas must I confess? What must I repent of? What must I continue to grow in? Please don't hear me saying before I make disciples that I must be perfect. Not at all. 
But when I declare, imitate me, I better know where I'm leading them. I better know what I'm leading them to. And I better know what my desire is for their lives. Paul distinguishes in his words, don't follow the example of those who have their hope in the temporary rewards of this world. Rather, those who have their eyes and their futures fixed on their permanent home. Listen to his reminder in verse 20. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like glorious body, His glorious body, by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Paul's letting us know that a focal point for us as we lead others to imitate and follow, lead, lead them to Christ is remind them that their citizenship is in heaven. The more I wake up in this world, the more confident I become and thankful that this is not my home. Even over the past few weeks and months, we could say we realize that the comforts that we have are not my eternal home. Have you ever been somewhere and you heard someone talk and you say in your mind, or maybe you say it out loud, you're not from around here, are you? People can tell where we are from based on the way we talk, the way we act, or even dress. So I want to challenge you today to examine how do we act? How do we talk? How do we dress? What do we watch? What do we quote? What do we spend time on? What do we spend our money on? With a goal as a follower of Jesus that people around us would start wondering and asking, you aren't from around here, are you? Paul is telling the Philippians, pursue heaven as your home. Love the things of heaven. Start smelling it, seeing it, desiring it. And as you remain on this earth, you will become most effective at leading others to see and know Jesus. And the more we begin to focus on our heavenly home and live out life as we would be called to live, the more effective we become in this calling to be disciple makers. In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. What if we begin to look for moments and opportunities and people to become disciples making disciples? Pointing people to heaven as our home, our relationship to Christ as our resolve. What if we slowed down our pursuit of this world in order to point people to the promises and the hope of heaven? After all, if we claim to be followers of Jesus, we are citizens of heaven. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, for my, my joy and crown stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. That means we must be willing to say to others, imitate me as an example of Jesus Christ. Who are you following? Who are you leading? Two questions that every follower of Jesus is called to answer. 
by the Great Commission, by Paul, who are you following? Of what or whom are you becoming a disciple? And who are you leading? Who is following you and where are you leading them? These are questions that we must answer. As we close out this passage, remember Matthew 28, Philippians 3.17 and grasp this reality. Disciple making does not happen at a distance. It's personal. It's messy. It's not for people who want to live in privacy and seclusion, rather people who want to live in community and pointing others to Jesus. Paul is instructing the church, you follow my lead, you lead others, and we will impact the world with the message, the teachings, the truth, the power of a personal relationship with Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, I know for me as a pastor, as a husband, as a dad, as a friend, that this passage is challenging in many, many ways. Because it's a call for me to say to other, other believers, to other non-believers, watch me. Follow me. Where do I lead them? My actions, what would they model for them? What kind of disciples am I making? Disciples of Jesus or disciples of my favorite team? Disciples of Jesus Christ and His promises of heaven or disciples of things of this earth that will fade away? Disciple-making disciples. Paul is saying to the church of Philippi, I've shown you who Jesus is. You've come to Christ. You know the example of Jesus Christ. You know the examples of humility. I'm sending you a couple of guys who are worthy to be followed. But imitate me. A man who sits in prison, who has walked through suffering and says, take joy. Follow me as I follow Christ. God, this is a challenge for followers of Jesus. So it is a, a weight for each of us to carry, to examine, to explore, to answer this call. Now we thank you for this calling, but we also need to take a moment and step back and say, who am I following? Where or what am I leading people to? And examine our hearts, our lives, our minds, and make changes accordingly. To your, to your word. Guide us to be disciples who make disciples and we don't believe that it can happen from a distance. Help us to be messy, get messy. Get into the middle of lives in order to lead them to a deeper trust in Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us once again for Philippians. Next week, we'll take our last look um, at Philippians chapter 4. Thank you so much for being with us again.